couple weeks ago, we talked about tithing. And um, when, we, when I was studying tithing, the Lord just kind of put another um, message on my heart in this spiritual growth theme that we're on. And it said in, in Malachi, we're talking about tithing. How many were here for that? Okay, so you remember. We talked about in Malachi 3, it says, bring your tithes and offerings to the storehouse. And something I've never seen before or picked up on, because a lot of times we talk about the tithe part of that, but what stood out to me is it says bring it. It doesn't just say send it. It doesn't say give it. It, it just say, it says bring it. In other words, come with it. So the Lord began to speak to me about the importance of gathering with believers, not in an attendance thing, not a check mark of you better be in church service every Sunday. We're going to start taking note. We're going to send you a couple warnings. After three, after three absentees, you, you know, you're suspended. You know, three lates equal one absentee. I mean, we're not doing all that, all right? Some of y'all have absentees. Um, but here's the thing. It's not about, um, it's not, this is not a legalistic thing. We're not talking about, you know, any kind of guilt that's associated with, oh, I missed last Sunday. Because when you look at the word church, the Greek word is talked about there is um, ekklesia, and it actually means this. A gathering of believers. So it's not, just, it's not just being here. It's do you have believers that you can gather with and around that encourage you, that help you in your journey? Because wherever you're going, you want people in your life that are walking that journey with you. And that's the importance of coming together as believers. So when we talked about this last week, we had, uh, there's six points, and they all... You know, they start with C and then H, then U, then R, then CH. So the first one was community. One of the benefits of being around believers is to be able to establish healthy community. Psalms 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. When we're unified, it's good and it's pleasant and it's pleasing. When you're together on something, then you, you walk strong. If you had three people up here and they're all trying to go their own direction, you don't get anywhere. And there's something about having community that you can depend on that can help you to understand we need the body of Christ. Our theme verse we talked about was in Matthew 16, and I'll just tell you, it was when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they were talking about some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah or other prophets. And then he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter no surprise that Peter spoke up. He always spoke up. And, um, but he said, you are Christ. You are the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered by saying this, you didn't learn that from a human. That's a revelation from God. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Here's what we realized. And the Lord spoke this before we even planted this church. When he says, I will build my church, he's saying, I, Jesus, will build my, Jesus's church. In other words, it's not my church. I'm not building his church. He's not building my church. He's building his church. So if this church is God is building, and I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about believers that are unified, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. If we are unified in that, this is what it says about that church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, everything the enemy wants to do to bring you down and destroy you, it can't happen if, you're, if you are living out as the church that Jesus is building. 
It just can't. Then he goes on to say, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. In other words, this, a part of this church, not only do you have uh, strength and authority, not only does the gates of hell not prevail against you, but another thing that comes with this is you have authority. Because whoever has keys to your home has authority to go into your house. Right? So if, God, if God's given us the keys to the kingdom, then we have authority in the kingdom of God. I don't just hand out keys. We didn't give the UPS guy a key. Hey, man, if we're not home, if we're not here, just come on in, get you something to drink, drop the package off wherever, help yourself, take a little nap, whatever you need. No, leave it, <laughs> leave it outside. You're not coming in. We're not giving you keys. We're not, we're not doing that. So when God says, I, I, you know, I give you the keys to the kingdom, he's saying, listen, you have authority. When you're, when, when you're established as, as the church that Jesus is building. And that's what we're talking about. So we talked about this. We talked about community. Ephesians 1 and then Ephesians 4, both of those talk about the body where Christ is head of the body. And then we as the body of Christ, we're all, there's many parts to the body of Christ. But we're all together. Listen, there's one body. You think about you. Your arm is part of your body. Your leg is part of your body. Your feet are part of your body. But it's all one body with a lot of different parts. That's the body of Christ. That's why we're not talking about just the building or inside these walls. I'm talking about the body of Christ is all under the authority of Christ. And that's, that's how we should be in community. You should have people around you that are heading the same direction you're going. You need it. And a lot of times what happens, because I've seen it happen. I just talked to someone this week. They started going through a difficult time, and we haven't seen them in a long time. And they called me, and they said, hey, man, I've just been struggling, and I can't, I can't, I can't get it. And part of it was because all your help is gone because you isolate yourself, and then you have nobody with you to help you. Aaron and her were part, they, were, they walked up the mountain with Moses. Moses didn't go alone because if he did, Joshua would have lost the battle. Because when Moses' arms were up, he was winning. When Moses' arms fell from holding the staff up like the Lord told him, Joshua would start losing. But because he had people around him that when he started getting tired, they said, here, you sit here. And they came up and they didn't take the rod and the staff. They didn't start holding that saying, we'll do it because God told Moses to. So what they did is they came alongside of Moses and just lifted Moses' arms up to say, you still need to do it. This is still what God's called you to do. So we're not going to take over what God's called you to do. We're going to walk alongside you and help you do what God's told you to do. And that's the journey that we as believers, we get to walk with each other and say, listen, God's got a plan for you. And I'm not here to fulfill God's plan for you. I'm here to help you fulfill God's plan for you. And that's where community comes. The second thing, healthy relationships. If we, if we are underneath the, the unity that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and we're all in this together, guess what happens? We can put our guard down. We can know that God is love and that he loves us just the way we are. And we can do what John 13, verse 34 and 35 says. We can love one another the way Christ has loved us. And then it says that that's how they'll know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Not by all these great things you do, but the fact that you love each other. 
for the church to function as the church, we need to be loving. We need to accept people. We need to love people where they are because that's how God loved us. So if he's the, if he's the example, and when he says love one another as I've loved you, that means judge-free, not condemning, not, well, you know, you just straighten up a little bit, I'll love you. No, I'll love you whether you straighten up or not. Still going to love you. God loved us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before, before we chose him, he chose us. I mean, he, he, he's, done, he's done the work for us. So if we understand we can love each other that way, it makes, it makes a, huge, a huge difference. James 5.16 says this, if we have a good relationship, here's what we can do. You can confess your sins one to another. And then here's what it says. Not just talk about how rough it is, but then it says this for each other. See, that's not just saying this is the problem. It's saying this is where I struggle. Can you pray with me? Can we pray together? So here's the question. If you want healthy relationships, the way God ordained relationships to be, that you could be honest with each other and then pray for each other. Instead of condemning the person who's struggling, to pray for them and allow them to pray for you because we all have stuff. We all have stuff. So that's how, and then it says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. So if we're as righteous people because of Jesus, we're righteous. So if we can come together, if we pray for each other, there's power in that prayer. So sometimes the reason we, we battle these things alone is because we're not praying for each other. And the reason we're not praying for each other is because we don't know what to pray because we don't even know they're going through anything. So the Bible says, look, confess your sins. Wherever you're struggling, find someone that you trust and talk about it. And let someone come alongside you and help you and pray for you. Because sometimes you alone, you're struggling, and God's like, look, there's people that can come around you and help you. They can, they can help you. And if we can have that environment where we embrace people where they are, including each other, then we can come along and pray and encourage each other. We can start taking the rest of those steps. But it starts with just loving. The third thing we talked about was understanding the importance of God's word. Acts 2.42 says in the early church, as soon as people, Peter preached, there was 3,000 people added to the church right after the day of Pentecost. And it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word right away. 2 Timothy talks about the word, and this is what it says about the word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by who? God. It's God's word. And it's useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong. See, sometimes by getting in the word, you realize, oh, you know what? I'm not quite, I'm not quite doing that. And then he doesn't say it in a shaming way because the next part of what the word does is it corrects us. So when you know what's not right, then God can come in and say, here's the better way. And some people think the Holy Spirit is someone who just walks along pointing out all your faults. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, listen, this isn't the way to go. This is. Pointing you in the right direction, not just, you know, harping on you for going the wrong direction, but to say, oh, you don't want to go that way. You want to go this way. That's what the word is there. It, it corrects what's wrong, and then it teaches us to do what's right. That's what the word of God does. Hosea 4, 6 says people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. There are believers in the world, in the church, that are living life and they're missing out on so much because they don't know. 
There are believers that don't know God really loves them. And they don't run to him in difficult times because they don't know he loves them. They don't know that they'll accept him. There's believers that have no hope. They have it. They don't realize they have hope because they, they don't know. They don't know that God will supply all of their needs. They don't know that David said, listen, the righteous are never forsaken. They don't know. And that lack of knowledge hurts us. Because if we don't know it, that's why people say all the time, you heard me say this before, but how many have heard people say the truth will set you free? That's not entirely what the word says. The word says you have to know the truth and then it'll set you free. But if you don't know it, freedom doesn't come. So that's the importance. We got to understand that part of coming together as believers is to grow in the word. And to come together into not just on a Sunday or a Wednesday night where it's being taught, but also in our lives together, that we shouldn't be ashamed to encourage each other with the word. You know, I'm struggling. I just, man, my job's just, you know, changing. And what happens if I lose my job? And what happens here? What would it be like if, if just in a conversation at a coffee shop, your friend just said, hey, don't forget, God's always been your source, that he will take care of you no matter what. He's faithful, and, and you speak the word to encourage people. All right, so we talked about those yes, uh, last week, community, healthy relationships, understanding the importance of God's word. And then, to, and then so here's the, here's the R, recognize our tr- true identity. There's something about coming together as believers when we begin to realize the healthy part of our walk with God isn't all the stuff we do. Will there be things that we do? Yes. But you know what the most important thing for you to have your value in? Is that you belong to him. That's it. That you belong to Jesus. Look at the scripture in John 1 verse 12. It says, but all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God. Children of God. Let's go to the next one. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's, that's, that's God saying, listen, I've called you out of that and brought you here because of his love for us. And then 1 John 3.1 I love how this verse says it in the New Living. It says, see how very much, not just how much, how very much, our Father loves us. For he, our Father, see, we're not the ones saying we're sons of God. Our Father is saying he has called us his children. In other words, Father God in heaven is saying that right there, those are my children. Scott, see that guy down there? That's my child. That's my son. That's my son. You know what, right there? That's my daughter. He calls us his children. And then it says, and that is what we are. We're children of God. We are children of God. Now, let me just say this about our children, especially when they're young. And the Bible talks about not being childish, but being childlike, where Jesus says, let the children come to me. Because this is like the kingdom of God, the way these children are coming to me. So there's something about children that when when my kids were younger, they thought I could do anything. 
I mean, there'd be, you know, he's like, my dad can pick up a truck. I'm like, of course I can. That little toy truck in the playroom. I'm like, oh, look at me. But they, they just thought, I mean, they just loved their mom and dad. They just thought we could do anything. And Chase, he used to love to tell stories. Oh, yeah, you know what my dad did? And some of those were good stories, and some of those I was like, hey, don't, we don't tell people that story. <laughs> we don't tell people that story. Um, but there are things that they just, they just know. And then there's things because they know you. I'll never forget one time um, we, had, we, were at a, we were at church, and Chase was running around, just running all over the place. And someone said, hey, don't run. He's like, my dad owns a church. And I had to help him understand, dad doesn't own the church. But he thought, evidently, you don't know who my dad is. That's what he was saying. I can run if I want to run. My dad runs this place. You know, and then I had to help him understand, uh, you can't. But, but in his eyes, he was like, my dad loves me, and, and he's okay with me having fun. So you don't tell me what to do. My dad will tell me. And that's kind of the attitude. And you know what? There's something, you know, we, we need to teach our children to listen to others and respect authority no matter who it comes from and respect our elders and all that stuff. But there was something as far as with Chase that I thought, you know what? What if we were so confident in our God's love for us that when those voices speak to us, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that. Oh, you're not going to be that. Oh, God's not going to do that for you. That we are so common, we say, oh, Evan, wait a minute. Oh, you don't think I can make it? You don't think I can, I can do this? Even for me. You know, I was a youth pastor for a long time. The thought of planting a church and being a senior pastor, a lead pastor, was over my head. But what is it like to say, but you know what? My dad said, my father said I could. So when all the other voices come, you're so confident in God's love for you that you don't, you don't listen to all that. And you realize, you know what, my value's not all that. I'm a child of God. And for some of us, we, we try so hard to earn God's love. And you can't. You already have it. You don't have to earn something you already have. God already loves you. He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. And always has and always will. There's something that we recognize that that's, that's our identity. I don't have this scripture on the screen, but in Luke chapter um, 10, I believe it's verse 19, it talks about that as, as, as believers, we have authority over the enemy. I mean, we can trample over scorpions. and I mean, we just, we, are, we have authority, referring to the devil and the, all that stuff. We have authority over the devil. And verse 20 says this. But we don't rejoice in that. It says, don't rejoice that you, can, that you have power over the enemy. You do, but that's not what's so exciting. That's not what to rejoice in. He says, rejoice that you're in relationship with me, that your name's written in heaven. That's what you rejoice about. So we can sit here and talk in, in the natural and say, yeah, I, you know, I did this, and oh, I'm doing this, and oh, I pray 20 times a day, and I do this, and I do this. But you know what? We're not rejoicing in that. That's great. You know what we rejoice in? That cr the creator of this world we have a relationship with. Like he likes hanging out with us. He loves us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to lead us. He wants to help us. He wants to strengthen us. 
That's who he is. So whenever you, you know, especially remember when you were kids and you would always come, well, maybe not always, but sometimes, you, you know, we were like, oh, yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad. You know what I mean? That whole, you know, my family's better than your family type stuff you have as a little kids. Um, but I thought, would it be cool when someone's like, oh, yeah, well, my dad does this. Well, guess what? You know, my, my dad made your dad. <laughs> he created your dad and your family. You know, and, and so when you talk about your heavenly father, he's all powerful. There's nothing, no one more powerful than him. And there's nothing that separates your, his love from you. There's not, so we start thinking about understanding God in that light. Because honestly, sometimes the reason we don't run to God is because our values and what we do, and when we don't do something right, we lose our value and we think he's upset. We think he's mad at us. And it's like we're going we're gonna to go get a beat down. And that's not the God we serve. And we've tried as parents. Listen, we weren't perfect parents by any means. But I remember trying my best that I always wanted my kids to be able to come and be honest with us. And, and, and to realize that we're not, it's not always about you have to pay for that. Chase one time, you know, those little juice boxes that you get like in a Happy Meal. You know what happens if you blow into them, right? Y'all have done it. Who, who's done it? Yeah, juice just flies out when you're done. I mean, it just shoots out everywhere. So for Chase, I knew that he was like his father. And I said, listen, do not blow in those juice boxes because you'll stain all this, you know, carpet. You'll stain everything. That juice will stain Sure enough, Chase comes downstairs like 30 seconds later. Juice all over him. He's like, Dad, I spilled. I said, no. Did you blow in the juice box? No. I said, you did not blow in the juice box? No. I said, all right. Well, let's get you cleaned up. And then, Dad, what? I blew in the juice box. I was like, I know. I know. Thank you for telling me. And then here's what I told him. I said, you know what? I appreciate you being honest about it, and you're not going to get in trouble. I just want you to know, hey, we all do things. We all do stupid things sometimes. But you see what happens when you do it? You think you'll blow in a juice box again? No. And he wasn't mad at his shirt. He was mad that all his juice was gone. <laughs> right? So, but, but setting that tone up front to say, look, be honest. Just be honest. Then what happened is there was another time where I hear um, Zach was crying about something, and I was like, what's going on? And Chase said, I hit him. He, Chase was just telling himself. And it was amazing that, that in this day I was like, what are you doing? But he would just be real and honest. And I'm, in no way have I, did I handle all of those perfectly. But I'm going to tell you, there's nothing greater than knowing the ability you have to go to God and say, God, I messed up. I messed up. I just, you know, I didn't handle that situation right. I didn't handle that situation right. I, I kind of just let it get the best of me and probably didn't respond the way I should have or I, you know, I, I probably didn't handle that right. I, you know, I, I made a decision that probably wasn't the best decision. I didn't think about how it would affect everybody and I feel like I've just messed everything up. And when you come to God, you know what God's not doing? Oh, you sure did, buddy. That's not God. He's like, that's okay. That's okay because listen, listen, 
I can repair everything. I'm God. But you're still value to me, even in your mess-ups. Because your value to me isn't based on you being perfect. You're not righteous because you're perfect. You're righteous because of Jesus. And he took care of all this stuff for you. I'll help you. I'll help you. We'll walk this out, and we'll, we'll get through it. That's, that's the God we serve. And if you understand your identity, is so much more than, than, you know, there's so many people trying to be something just by acting a certain way. Because you don't know you're already loved. You don't know. This, you know, a lot of you now, this illustration, it worked a long time ago, but probably for you older people that, you know, that could be Curtis's father or mother or whatever, like me, um, then you know what? You remember Princess Diaries? Yeah, who saw, who saw the movie? Guys, don't, don't lie. BDD, you saw it. Any other, who else saw the movie? Raise your hand if you saw Princess Diaries. Come on. Oh, now they're going up. Okay. This movie, Patty, Patty got to pick the movie, and I was not happy because there was a lot of other movies, and Patty was like, let's watch Princess Diaries. And I'm like, Princess? That's the name of the movie, Princess Diaries? First of all, it's about a princess and some diary. Like, what is this all about? So we go in there. I'm trying to change my attitude, and it's just me and Patty and Girl Scout troops. And it was like little girls under the age of 11. And I'm like, this is going to be one of those movies. There's bubbles on the screen. I'm like, this is going to be great. Here's what the movie's about. This girl, in the beginning of the movie, doesn't really seem to care about much. Just kind of not caring herself very well. Not fixing herself. I mean, just kind of, yeah, whatever. couple friends. Well, she finds out that she's actually a princess in um, Genovia. Genovia, which isn't a real place. I'm aware. I thought it was. I couldn't find it on a map. It's not real. But, but she was a princess. So she starts taking these learning how to, they start teaching her how to walk like a princess and act like a princess and and, you know, and do all the princess things, you know, and drink the teas because, you know, she'll be living in the castle and all this stuff. So her whole life is changing. At the end of the movie, she is just dressed nice, you know, hair fixed perfect, walking, you know, the, the princess walk, which why I'm even trying, I have no idea. But walking like a princess. And, and, and she ends up being the princess and she ends up really affecting all of Genovia. And you know what? It wasn't at the exact moment, but you know what I realized? Is even in the beginning of the movie, she was still a princess. She just didn't know. Once she knew, it changed everything. But all of that was just outward stuff that happened once she knew, oh, I am important. I do have value. I do have a purpose. It all changed. But what she didn't, but because she didn't know, she didn't have that sense of value and purpose. And sometimes as believers, we don't recognize, listen, we're children of God. We're kings and priests. We're, we're everything the Bible tells us we are. And if we don't know, then we don't walk like it and we don't talk like it. But we already are. We just don't know. So once you realize, you know what, I'm a child of God. 
I'm important. I have access to God. I have authority in Christ. It changes how we walk. Just the knowledge that our value isn't in all this stuff. It's in who we are. Once we know who we are, then stuff changes. But it starts with that. All right, so the next one. When we're a part of a church, here's what happens. When we connect with believers, change happens. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right? Some people still argue, but I am a gift to the church, according to that word. You can't turn me in and get a refund. I'm a gift. Um, their responsibility, okay, so us, my, my responsibility as a pastor is to equip God's people to do his work. Right? And build up the church. That's my job. Listen, my job on Sunday morning in this moment isn't to go win the lost. It's to build up the church so we can go out and win the lost. But it's to build up the church. So you know what that's saying? The church needs to constantly be built up. The church needs to, to, to grow. The church needs to get stronger. And we need, we, need, we need each other. Let's keep going. Verse 13. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be what? Mature in the Lord. Part of coming together as believers and hearing the word and being a part of a church is so we can grow and we can mature in the things of God. Measuring up to the full, complete standard of Christ. Then, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. So here's the thing. It's like all of a sudden, we're saying, look, we got to mature so we're not falling prey to everything that's out there. We understand what we believe is God's word. And anything that tries to manipulate that or, or, or change that, because there are some people that will try to use God's word and manipulate it to fix what they want to do and the way they want to live. And it should be the opposite. We need to take our lives and line it up with God's word. That's how it should be. So when we do that, it says we'll speak the truth in love, growing every way more and more like Christ, who is head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So here's what it's saying. Part of this growth, part of this maturity that we walk in is for the body. It's for all of us to grow and to do our part. The Bible says that each joint supplies. In other words, every joint supplies in the, in the, in the body of Christ. You know where the joint is? It's where two come together. That's where they join. So for me, if you're on your own, you need to be with people. You need to be part of the body of Christ so you fit together with others and every part joins and every part helps. There's going to be times where you need help and there's going to be times where you're here to help others. But we understand that change happens in our life. John 15, 5 says, when we abide in him, he's the vine and we're the branches. Those who remain or abide in him and he in them, he says this, I'll produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We will produce fruit when we're connected to Jesus. We're connected to his word. We're going to produce. Um, <clears throat> so, so change will happen in our life as we decide, look, we need to be part of a family. We need to be part of a church body. We need to grow. We need to encourage one another. We need to recognize that God established the church. That God established the church as a gathering of believers. 
You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. One on, just you. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. But when, when you talk about what it means to be a part of the church, the church is a gathering of believers where you are together with other believers. And it's not for the church's sake in the sense of so we can say we had this many people because it ain't about the number of people. It's the fact that when people gather, we encourage one another. We grow together. And that's the last, the last letter here is the H, and it says this. Part of coming together as a church is we can help one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Then it says this, Let us not neglect our meeting together. Let's don't neglect coming together as believers, as some people do. In other words, there are some people that neglect it. doesn't mean that 24-7 you can never miss a Sunday. It means that you're not intentionally just neglecting being with believers. Because some people do that. And here's what it says about meeting together. But encourage one another, especially that the day of his return is drawing near. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming soon. And we need to be ready. And no matter what you hear, no matter what you think, and no matter how many people have tried to say, well, it's not going to be a literal. I'm telling you, Jesus is coming again. And I'm telling you, I'm going. When he comes, I'm going. And we all going to... For those who are believers, we're gone. In the twinkling of an eye. It's, it's, it's for real. Jesus is the soon coming king. And it's happening. And we need to be ready. And we need to help others be ready. And we need to encourage each other in that. And we need to realize, listen, life here is temporary. We don't live our life based on everything here that we can gain. None of this stuff on the earth we're taking with us. But our relationship with God is what matters. And part of coming together as believers so you can encourage one another. We had a men's breakfast um, yesterday morning, and we probably had between 20 and 30 guys there. And we're, we're eating. Amen. That's good. And then, but then we talk. And we get in the Word, and we talk about the fact that we got to come together. we got to be real and open, and we gotta, we got to encourage one another as men. And you know what? We had a great time at the end that we all prayed. We prayed for each other. And we were, we were, there was real, there was honesty, there was an openness to say, we need this. You know what? It's not just the men. It's all of us. We need each other. And we got to be able to say, hey, I need encouragement. And that's why I said, don't neglect coming together. Come together and encourage one another. Because there's been times when you've needed something and having someone walk in that door have someone show up and say, hey, I'm praying for you, it meant the world to you. And guess what? There's opportunities for you to walk in somebody's door and say, I'm here for you, and I want to pray for you. Because it's, this is a, we're all in this thing together, and we all have stuff, and we all need encouragement. We all need help. James 5, 14, this is another way we help one another. Are any of you sick? Call for the elders of, of what? Of the church. Call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen, there is something about calling for the elders of the church. Every Sunday, we have elders up here ready to pray for you for anything that you need. And sometimes what it is, it's the enemy that's making you feel like, oh, I just don't want to go up there. Or you get discouraged if you don't see something happen right away or whatever. But here's the deal. When you have people ready to pray for you, the Bible says, 
If you're struggling, pray. Go to them. Let them pray for you. I've never, I'm not saying it's never happened, but I've never had anyone come to me and say, man, I wish they wouldn't have prayed for me. I've never had that happen. I've had people that we've prayed for and we've seen miraculous things. We've seen intervention. We've seen, we've seen things that thought we were going one way that went the other. Even recently, there was someone that they got the report, everything looked bad, and they got the report cancer-free. You know what? I don't know. Oh, well, it just so happened. Well, or Jesus, God got involved. I guarantee you we're going to get to heaven and we're not going to care. But if we did, if we, could, if we thought like we do here, we were like, God, can you just show me some of the things that happened that I, I wasn't aware of? You would see how many times God has moved on your behalf that you were totally unaware of, still unaware of, completely unaware of that there was harm coming your way or there was something happening and God saved you and you, didn't, you don't even know. Because that's the God we serve. He cares about you and he loves you. Acts 12, and I'll close with this. Acts 12 1 through 19, I'm going to read this and then we'll wrap up. It says, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute believers in the church. So persecuting believers who are part of what? The church, all right? He, so he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. So when I say persecute, he just straight up killed John. Um, so it said, when Herod saw uh, how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers. How many soldiers is that equal? Very good. For those three people that did that quick math, you're good. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. So he was holding him in prison, and he was going to bring him out afterwards. But he had 16 guards around him. While Peter was in prison, listen to this. The church prayed very earnestly for him. What would it be like if the church prayed earnestly for others? What if you prayed earnestly for someone you know is going through something different, going through a challenge? But it goes back to how do we know people are walking through a challenge if we can't even talk about it? But the church prayed earnestly for him. Go to verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell. Remember, the church is praying earnestly for Peter. There's a bright light in the cell, and the angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. This is how I look at that. The angel shows up and goes like this. Hey, get up. And so here's what happens. Uh, the chains, when he said get up, it says the chains fell off of Peter. The angels told him, said, get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So let's just, yeah, leave it right here for a second. So here it is. Peter is asleep, chained, guards around him, other guards still standing by. And this angel shows up and says, get up. Imagine Peter like, um, excuse me, I have, oh, wait, no, I don't. Oh, wow. Then the angel says, hey, go ahead and get dressed. He's like, okay. 
puts his shoes on, wondering what's going on. Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard post. Came to the iron gate leading to the city. So here, just imagine Peter, the guards. He's walking right past the guards. He goes past the first guard station. He goes past the second. Following the angel like, can they see me? Like, they don't even see me. Could you imagine? They get to the iron gate. And it opens for them all by itself. This gate that they have to open. They have to have security clearance for that gate to open. And they get up there. You can imagine Peter saying, okay, we got past the guards, but this gate, only they can open. But God's like, no, there's a praying church. Watch this gate. And that gate opens. So they pass through and started walking down the street. Then the angel left. Peter finally came to his senses. In other words, he's like, he, just, he realized, you know what? <laughs> this ain't a vision. Like, I'm outside. No guards around me. No chains on me. I even have my sandals. I got everything back. And he says, the Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. So see, they're praying. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's at the door. Could you imagine? Here you are. You finally get out of prison. They were going to kill you. And you get out of prison like, hey, oh, ha, ha, and you just leave and leave him at the door. He's like, oh, hello, can I come in? So then he says, you're out of your mind. That can't be Peter, they said. When she, she insisted, they decided it must be an angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking like, um, come back, please. When they finally opened the door and they saw him, they were amazed. And he motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. Here's what I'm saying. Peter was in a place where it seemed like there was no hope. It seemed like his days were done. They had already killed one. And they were only holding him because it was the Passover. And they were going to start his trial the next day. And you know what? The church, instead of saying, you know what? Y'all pray for Peter's family. This is it for Peter. They, paid, they prayed for Peter. And they prayed earnestly. And what seemed to be impossible became possible. What seemed to be there's no way. There's all these guards around him. There's no way. But there is a way. Because the Bible says that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. And he did. And even the gate that was going to keep him bound and, and locked in opened all by itself. And nothing could stop him from walking out in freedom. And I'm telling you, that's the church. That's the value of the church. Is that we have people that not only we can encourage, but when we're going through something, if we will... If we will allow people to be a part of our life and we'll be a part of their life, I'm telling you, you have people that will stand and pray for you. And they'll pray for you even if they can't get to you. See, they didn't, they, didn't go to the, they didn't go to the prison and try to get to Peter to pray for them. They prayed where they were. They prayed. And Peter was set free. That's the value, not just of a church. That's the value of a praying church. 
That's if I have a church that says, listen, we know there's healthy things that happen. We can gather as believers. Something healthy about that. So my encouragement to you today is, look, don't forsake coming together with believers. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but I'm talking about hook up with some people during the week. When, you, when you're going through something, call on a believer. Don't walk it yourself. We're family. We're part of the family. We can all help each other. That's how God intended it. You were never intended to walk this journey alone, ever. God created the body as all of us together as one body. And we need each other. And we can help each other. 